Hey, and welcome to Sweet Talk. I'm your host, Andrea Brown of IamAndreaBrown.com. You can find me on all social channels at IamAndreaBrown. And if you like what you're listening to, go ahead and subscribe so you can get updates when new episodes post. Sweet Talk is a podcast that recaps the Oprah Winfrey Network's Ava DuVernay-produced show, Queen Sugar. Today, we're recapping Season 3, Episode 1, A Rock, A River, A Tree. When the episode opens, our girl Charlie is out for a morning run near her new plantation-style home. And I think this is a significant piece of imagery for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you remember last season, Charlie was living in the Queen Sugar Mill, but now she wants to separate her life and her work. What's the flip there? Well, see, the mill used to be her life, but now that she's sold it to the Boudreaux, I think she's kind of wrestling with herself in the decision that she made to do that. Secondarily, she's moved into this gigantic plantation-style home and it's just her and her son, Micah. But I really feel like this is another way of her posturing or trying to position herself as the boss she wants to be and is trying to convince herself that she is. She literally lives in a plantation home in a community that farms sugar. Literally. She wants to position herself as the boss. She wants to feel like the master in the space. And I think this is kind of foreshadowing of what she plans to do throughout the rest of the season in her quest for power and to take over from the Boudreaux. When Charlie returns from her run, she winds up speaking to Micah and she gets a text from a mystery woman named Vicky. And these texts pop up throughout the episode to outline a subplot. Basically, Charlie hasn't gotten over Micah's experience with the police officer from last season. You remember when Micah was stopped and he didn't have his driver's license and the police officer yanked him out of the car. And then we come to find out later that the police officer took him to a back street and shoved a gun down his throat and pulled the trigger. Of course, he didn't get shot. There was no bullets in the gun, but it was a very traumatizing experience for Micah. And Charlie really hasn't gotten over it. Now she has this private investigator, I assume, that's helping her dig up dirt on that police officer. Nova opens the season in a New York City publishing office where a group of women executives are sharing the news with her that they want to offer her a book deal with a six-figure advance. Man, this is about to get to the bag. That is an exciting moment for anyone who's ever been a writer. You guys know that opportunities like this don't come that often. So the book deal would be to bundle her essays, all the ones that she's written for the newspaper in New Orleans, about mass incarceration and Katrina and the Ninth Ward. But let me tell you what bothered me about that scene. Number one, there were certain people that didn't say a word in the scene. But what I did also notice that no one besides Nova in that room was black. Now, as a writer, you know that editors can make or break you. And if you have an editor that may not necessarily understand your experience, you run the risk of getting your words, I don't know, slaughtered, (laughs) maybe mixed up a little bit. 
you run the risk of having your message diluted when you don't have someone who really truly understands your experience now i will say the lady that planned on being nova's editor did really try to make the effort to say hey i want to get to know you tell me a little bit more about yourself but the honest truth is if you've never had the experience of being a black woman there's no way that you can identify with being a black woman it just doesn't work it doesn't happen so uh what's left to be seen is how that situation plays out with Nova and her newfound publishing family. I think one of the things that made it a little bit challenging for Nova as well was that in that meeting, those ladies mentioned people like Tanahasi Coates and Roxanne Gay and Elizabeth Alexander, people who are highly noted literary giants, but they're also thought leaders. And I don't think that Nova is really or was really ready to showcase herself in front and in the spotlight. Not on a national level, at least. She was very, very comfortable being in her space in New Orleans and being an activist in the community at the grassroots level. One of the things that they said in the meeting that I think was really triggering for Nova was when they said, you can leave grassroots behind. And if you remember last season, Nova was in a relationship or a budding relationship with a guy named Robert Dubois. And he basically told her the same thing, that she was brilliant and that she had the opportunity to take her ideas worldwide. And she just wasn't into it. She was like, you can't change me. I'm by the people, for the people, FUBU for life. But now she's faced with this again. And I think... That conversation was triggering for her because she knows it to be true, but now she has to decide whether she's going to accept it because the stakes are higher. Everybody's favorite kid, Blue, who's really the glue that binds the Bordelones together, is acting out. Darla's gone back to D.C., and I really believe the kid just misses his mom. And unfortunately, Ralph Angel is having a hard time dealing with it. Blue is talking back. Apparently, he's been pushing kids at school. And he's just being defiant. And Ralph Angel's patience is really wearing thin. We meet up with Charlie again as she's preparing to sign her deal with the devil, a.k.a. Jacob Boudreau and Sam Landry. So she meets them at Sam's house and... Sam is ready for her to sign the contract. He even excuses Jacob from the room, kind of like he's the flunky, that he doesn't even belong there, which is probably true. But, of course, this is all part of Charlie's master plan. And in that plan, she had her lawyers put in the contract that she would own 1% of the Landry business and that the black farmers would be able to maintain their discounted rates for a set period of time. In turn, Charlie would have to continue to be the face of Queen Sugar to make sure that the Landry's, quote, keep their appearances up, unquote. I think Charlie is getting in way over her head in this situation. She seems to feel like she's on top of things, but 
I really don't trust Jacob or Sam. There's something fishy going on. Something in the milk's not clean. And of course, we'll have to wait and see what that is. I think the triggering moment for Charlie, though, was when Sam said, you know what? Your daddy would be proud of you. And I don't think Charlie really believes that that is true. She knows that the decision she's making is kind of on shaky ground. And I know that that statement really caused her to look inward and think about what she's doing. Aunt Violet in Hollywood, everybody's relationship goals, have just gotten back from a trip to Italy. Now, of course, Aunt Violet last season was diagnosed with lupus. And so she's moving a little gingerly, etc. But she looks good. And Hollywood is excited to show off all of the things that they've been planning for their wedding. But in doing that, with the whole family in the house, I think he triggered Ralph Angel. Because as you know, Ralph Angel was supposed to marry Darla. And I think seeing all the wedding planning and the photos and the venue ideas really hit Ralph Angel in the chest. It really hurt him. And what did we see him do? He grabbed a beer. Now, throughout this episode, Ralph Angel was drinking beer after beer after beer after beer to cope with whatever emotional situations he's going through, whether it be missing Darla, whether it be Blue acting out, etc. So I wonder if that would be a thread for his character throughout the rest of the season. If you know anything about the South... You know the people in the South love their athletics, be it football, basketball, baseball, whatever. We are ride or die for our sports teams from Little League, from T-ball, all the way up to professional sports. And the Bordelone family is no exception. They ring very true with that. And what's happening in this episode is a classic basketball game, the St. Josephine Bears versus whatever the Collins team mascot is. What I did notice, however, is that just like in many communities in the South, schools are still very much segregated. Not by law, but just by circumstance. So in St. Joe's, there's a black school and a white school. Collins happens to be the white school and St. Josephine's happens to be the predominantly black school. And that rivalry is very heated. Apparently, it's been going on for years and years and years. The whole family decides to attend the game. Charlie's there. Micah's there. Hollywood and Vi. Nova. Everybody's there. Even Mr. Prosper shows up. But I'm concerned about Mr. Prosper because he's on a cane. You know our elders. They really need our assistance. And when I see Mr. Prosper on that cane, I'm like, oh, man, this cannot cannot be good. He greets Aunt Vi with a hug and tells her he's doing okay and that he doesn't need anything, which is, of course, another thing an elderly black man would say when clearly he needs some assistance. I know that's just how we do. The tea here is that Remy is also at the game. And, you know, Charlie and Remy broke up last season after Remy said that he just couldn't trust Charlie when she told him what she planned to do with the Boudreaux's. And it makes sense. So they make eye contact a couple times and it's awkward. He looks at her, she looks at him, but he kind of turns away and it's like, oh, this is, oh, you know, when you see somebody that you used to talk to in public for the first time, it's kind of like unfortunate. (laughs) 
that's exactly what happened with Charlie and Remy. Now, as you remember, Charlie is still on this crusade to find this officer that harassed her son. And wouldn't you know that while she's at the concession stand at this basketball game, she actually sees the police officer with his grandson. The way she looked at that man, I wasn't, I was really concerned. I wasn't really quite sure what she was about to do. It looked like she was ready to burn a hole through his head with her eyes. And I'm sure in her mind, she was playing out a thousand times what she wished she could have done to him in that moment. But in seeing his grandson and seeing his grandson's interaction with Blue, I think it made Charlie kind of reel back a little bit. She had to pause and kind of contain the anger that she was showcasing. And, and at that moment, the officer was very kind to her. He spoke to her. He told her to have a great day, etc. If you didn't know the situation, you wouldn't know that this guy was a mean guy. And isn't that how it always works? Racism is quiet until it confronts you. Now, as everyone is leaving the game, we are introduced to... A young lady that I will refer to kindly as Thirsty Tamika. I originally thought about calling her Thotty Tamika, but I felt like that would be a little, a little mean. I, I'll just give her, I'll give her the thirst, okay? Because this young lady decided to approach Ralph Angel and ask him whether or not he was still with Darla. Now, everybody knows that the Bordelones are very, very famous in the town, everybody knows Ralph Angel. It's not a secret, you know. He's not, you know, one of those guys in the shadow. He's very popular. People know him, you know what I'm saying? And so, Thirsty Tamika probably already knows that he's no longer with Darla. I mean, it's a small town. News travels quickly, especially in the black community. So, Thirsty Tamika takes her opportunity to ask him, Hey, Ralph Angel. You need someone to keep the other side of your bed warm. Now, come on. Come on, Tamika, sis. Whole time, Blue is sitting in the truck. The man's child is in the truck. Just feet away from where she's standing, being thirsty. Sis, come on. Now, I guess on the flip side of this, we could say that thirsty Tamika is really just trying to get her needs met. I mean, we could say that about anyone who asks for what they want, but I think... The way she did it, no, it was, it was just really thirsty. Might be bordering on thoughtiness, but I, we're going to leave that alone. To celebrate the win, Nova, Aunt Vi, Hollywood, and Charlie decide to head out to one of the local bars and grab a drink. Now, while they're at the bar, there were two black men, older, probably in their 40s, 50s, I would say 50s, closer to 50s, that were talking about the display of protests that was made at the game. They sounded very, um, they sounded like older black men. I mean, and a lot of older black men are of the opinion that, hey, yeah, you can have your thoughts and your ideas, but man, there's a time and a place for everything. Why they have to bring that to the game? Well, bro, I just have a question. And Nova did too. If we don't bring it now, when will we ever have time to bring things up? It got the people's attention. And that is the 
point of a protest. It's not to make you feel all happy and easy. It's about making people feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable enough to change the situation. And Nova kindly got those men together for sounding ho-tappy at the bar. Also at the bar to celebrate is Remy. Now Aunt Vi sees Remy over sitting at another table and she says to Charlie, hey girl, you guys need to stop avoiding each other. That man is still a part of our family. Tell him I want him to come on over here. So Charlie obliges. Of course, she's kind of interested in talking to Remy. They haven't really talked to each other since the whole breakup situation. So she makes her way over to him and shares what Aunt Vi had to say. And Remy politely rejected it. With all due respect, no ma'am. I'm just going to keep my head down and stay over here. And I know Charlie was a little bit hurt by that. She thought there might have been a little glimmer of hope, but clearly, sis, you're done for. Aunt Violet doesn't want Hollywood being all manly. This is something that has played out throughout the entire episode, and really, it played out throughout season two as well. Aunt Vi is not really used to having a man to assist her with certain things. She's been independent for so long, and it's been an adjustment for her having Hollywood and having Hollywood wanting to protect and provide for her. And so Hollywood shares with her and it was like the most beautiful line. He says to her, I'm always lift you up and protect you. That's what I do. Now, who doesn't want someone there to lift and protect them? I mean, I think for most people, that is something that we want. You know, whether it's in friendship, whether it's in relationship, etc. We all want someone that's going to lift us up and encourage us and be there for us when we're at our weakest point. And I think deep down inside, Aunt Violet really, really wants that. She just doesn't know how to allow herself to receive it. But I think as the season progresses, she's going to see and be forced to allow Hollywood to help take care of her. Back at Charlie's house, we get another text message. It's from our girl Vicky, the private investigator again. This time, there's a video of that police officer beating up a cuffed black man. And she tells Vicky to leak it. Now, of course, remember, Micah decided he was going to go out. And on his way out, he actually did get an opportunity to see those students that were protesting. They got released by the authorities and he was able to, you know, throw in the peace sign or whatever. And I think it really impacted him. Regardless, Micah was late getting home. He had a midnight curfew and rolled in around 1230. Charlie, of course, spazzed like, I'm concerned about you, da, da, da. Don't do that, blah, blah, blah. Micah says to her, hey, I'm going to be late sometimes. Things happen. You got to chill. And then... This boy had the nerve to take a call from his girlfriend. Now, let me tell you something. (laughs) I don't know what black mom would ever allow this to happen. First of all, you're late for your curfew. Second of all, you're going to take a call from your girlfriend at 1230 in the morning while I'm talking to you. mm, I'm pretty sure that my phone would have got snatched. 
if it was me. I, I just, if my boyfriend called me at 1230 a.m. And I was supposed to be home at midnight. And my mom was talking to me. Hi, mom, by the way. I don't think it would have went the same way. It just wouldn't have. Charlie just kind of watched him talk. And then told him to keep unpacking his boxes and remember that some of his stuff needed to go to his dad's house. Like, no. Then the boy had the nerve to ask her to close the door. Like, what? Like, uh, ooh. anyway, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what world that is. And it may just be that Charlie makes concessions because she knows what Micah has been through. But man, couldn't have been me. The next day. At the High Yellow, which is the dopest name ever for a restaurant. The High Yellow. Nova is interviewing the four kids who decided to protest at the basketball game. And in her conversation with them, I think she realized that the movement is safe in the hands of the young people. I think throughout the episode, she was trying to find ways or trying to find signs that would allow her to release her hold on these grassroots efforts that she had been clinging to for so long. And as she heard the students begin to tell her why they decided to protest, she realized that there are people coming up behind her that can really go ahead and carry the mantle and that she should feel comfortable enough to go ahead with her book deal. I think the hardest part of the episode, the part that Nobody really wanted to see, but the part that everyone knew was coming was when Ralph Angel went and got a paternity test. Now, there had been these questions since the end of last season about whether or not Ralph Angel was actually Blue's biological father. And it turns out that he's not. And when he received the results... All he could say was, it don't change nothing. And he said it repeatedly. And I thought the image in that situation was so beautiful. Number one, both Charlie and Nova were there by his side to support him in that moment. And it's something to say that to have two strong, intelligent black women by your side when you're going through something. So that show of support was actually very beautiful. Despite all of the drama that they had been through as siblings, they're always there to support each other. But then hearing Ralph Angel continuously say, it don't change nothing. It was really hurtful, you know, because it was like he was trying to convince himself that knowing that he is not blues biological father won't change anything about the way that he loves the boy that he is known to be his son and I think that we'll see that continue to play out as the season progresses later we find Charlie at the farm and Mr. Prosper comes out now Mr. Prosper is like proxy for Charlie's dad she even says it in their conversation and so it was a beautiful moment when Mr. Prosper lets her know that he feels like her dad is looking down on her and smiling. It's a stark contrast from the beginning of the episode when Sam Landry told her the same thing. Hearing it from Mr. Prosper was like a breath of fresh air. 
And while I still think that Charlie is struggling with the decision that she made to actually sell the mill to the Landrys and the Boudreaux, hearing that from Mr. Prosper gave her the gas that she needed to keep on going. As we close the episode, my girl Thirsty Tamika pops up again. But see, the issue is, in his sadness and in his coping, our dear brother Ralph Angel decided to call her over. Now, let me tell you why I really feel like Thirsty Tamika could also be Thotty Tamika. She knew her role. She came over in the dead of night and she thought that she was going to go in the house. But no, Ralph Angel said, no, nah, no, nah, we not going in the house. Because his son was in there. Now, if this is a, you know, any other type of situation, a girlfriend situation, a wifey situation, old girl will be able to let, be let in the house. But, alas... Thirsty Tamika. I think what we can take away from this episode, if anything, is that we all have internal conflict. Whether it's Nova and trying to decide whether she should leave her comfort zone and really stretch out and expand to reach her dreams, or whether it's Charlie wrestling with the decision that she made that could be morally bankrupt or Ralph Angel having to decide how he'll treat the boy that he knows to be his son now that he knows that that boy is not biologically his we deal with issues of coping well how do we cope with disappointment how do we deal with things that don't go the way that we plan for them to go how do we force ourselves to step out of the boxes that we've always known. And I think that the siblings really represent all of that for us. I mean, all of those situations are things that I'm sure that many of us have been through. Trying new things when we have to leave all that we've ever known or finding out something that we believe to be true our entire lives was a total lie. Or Understanding that we may have made a decision that could bring irreversible damage on people that we care about, but knowing wholeheartedly in our mind that we're really sold out for what we believe in, man, those are really challenging things. One thing that we can really take away from this is that it's important to know who we are and understand what we're called to do. So, Ralph Angel, he knows that he's supposed to be a father to Blue. Whether or not Blue is actually biologically his or not, Ralph Angel has made an impact in that child's life. And in turn, that child has impacted everyone else. Or Charlie, she knows that she's supposed to help the community that she's been placed in. It wasn't by chance that she uprooted her life to come back to a place that she never thought she'd come back to. How she gets there is the challenge. And the same is true for Nova. How she gets to her goal of bringing power to the people is going to be a challenge for her. 
whether she chooses to continue to play small or allow herself and her talents to be thrust into the spotlight so that she can have her message impact more people. It's all about our minds. We all have the opportunity to make those decisions for ourselves and it all starts with a choice. Just something for you to think about. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Sweet Talk, recapping season three, episode one of Queen Sugar, a rock, a river, a tree. I've had such a great time recapping the show and I'm looking forward to talking to you about the second half of the season premiere coming up next. So make sure you tune into that. For now, I'm Andrea Brown. You can find me on all social channels at I am Andrea Brown. And please don't forget to subscribe and share. If you have friends that watch Queen Sugar or maybe you have friends that don't get the opportunity to watch it, tell them to listen to my podcast, please. Thanks so much for tuning in. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.